installment of a franchise. Today is WrestleMania 3, Part 3. It's the epic conclusion to the three-part experimental non-movie Part 3 run of Third Time's a Charm. This is the second ever Part 3 of Third Time's a Charm. The first is the third part of the epic three-show Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift crossover event with fellow podcasts Too Fast, Too Forever and High School Slumber Party. So be sure to check out those episodes. Today, Brian, Dan, Larson, and myself cover the next six matches of one of the most epic sporting events in history. This episode has my favorite match of the night, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat vs. Randy Macho Man Savage. There's also some other really interesting and fun matches before we get to the main event of the evening, Hulk Hogan vs. Andre the Giant. I gotta tell you, third-timers, I think I've caught the wrestling bug. Since recording these episodes, I've been watching a few matches on the old WWE app and having a really fun time catching up on the early days of some of today's more famous stars. It's also been fun to go back and watch a classic match or two as well. Who knows if all this wrestling will lead to something more or not, but in the meantime, it's been tons of fun. Also today, once again, for the third show in a row, because this isn't a movie, there will be no, no part three. So for the last time... No! No, 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 no! No! No, 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 no! No! Not this fucking time! No fucking way! No fucking way! No fucking way! No fucking way! So now, come with us one last time to the Pontiac Silverdome. It's the back six matches of tonight's card at WrestleMania, so let's go! Plus a whole lot more. Jesse, this has been the greatest wrestling extravaganza of all time, and there's still a whole lot more to come. Well, I'll tell you, Gorilla, it's not nearly over yet. It's been unbelievable. WrestleMania 3 has already far surpassed my expectations, and there's a whole lot more still to come, Jesse. There definitely is, Gorilla. All right, so here we are at the back half of WrestleMania 3, the final six matches. Match 7. A real six-man tag team match, not a mixed tag team match. We have... Oh, man, I love these guys. Brian, this might be our rivalry match here. My guys, the British Bulldog, Davy Boy Smith and the Dynamite Kid with Tito Santana versus the Hart Foundation and Danny Davis. <laughs> okay, now somebody's got to explain to me who the hell Danny Davis is. He seemed a little out of place and he looks a lot like, to me, like Frankie Avalon. I can actually explain Danny Davis pretty well because when I was like a little five or six year old, I was like kind of into like what the refs were up to. I was like, who are these referees? Like, what's their function? Like, what are they there for? And um, there was this one ref eventually started coming up who was like a real asshole. Like, I was like, who is this guy? He's like calling all the wrong things. Like, he's helping these bad guys win. Like, people are starting to like lose their belts because of this ref. And it was freaking Danny Davis. And I liked him 
as an evil ref. And I thought that was cool. But then I just realized that that's how they started working this guy's persona into him eventually becoming a real wrestler. And like the whole idea, I guess, is that he's an average wrestler and he's more of like a player. But he somehow parlayed all of that shtick into becoming the wrestling referee. And once that happened, I turned on him immediately. Like I just because I I feel like they feel like he just didn't earn it. He didn't. He works so much better in his other role. And I, can't, I just can't stand him in WrestleMania 3 whatsoever. I just hate him here. Well, his whole his whole shtick seems to revolve around him being a smug jerk. So easy to hate. Absolutely. I guess the one argument for including him, and I don't necessarily agree with it, is that the Hart Foundation and the British Bulldogs fought hundreds of matches together. Legendary. Legendary. So maybe they just didn't want to do the same thing for WrestleMania, but... Danny Davis is not the way to go. No disrespect to Tito Santana. I like Tito Santana. But look, Bret Hart, Jim Neidhart is his brother-in-law. Davy Boy Smith of the British Bulldogs is his other brother-in-law. And Dynamite Kid is his brother-in-law too. So different kind of brother-in-law. So they're like all essentially family. They've been working together since they learned wrestling, essentially. They're always going to have a great match. And the, and the one crap thing that, about this match, again, is Danny Davis, who's not a pro and not very good. Introducing first, the World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Champions, Brett Hitman Hart, Kid the Anvil Nightheart, the Hart Foundation. And their partner from Dover, New Hampshire, Danny Davis. Danny Davis making his debut here in WrestleMania 3 as a professional wrestler. He's been suspended for life plus 10 years as a referee. He is out. This is probably the one time where story is sort of taking precedent over, you know, like ability and stuff. Like he's only there to resolve a storyline. Like he is the reason I feel like the Hart Foundation might have their belts and they may have lost them from the British Bulldogs because of his poor refereeing. I'm not sure if that's right, but that's the gist that I'm getting from this match and why he's there. He's there because he helped them. They needed a third. And it's just, you know, it's more for the story, I feel, which isn't a great thread to begin with but like you said brian these two teams have been fighting each other forever so they're kind of running low on material i guess at this point and they really had to find something to fill it with yeah pretty much we got our first animal uh, of the night right just a a word about the british bulldogs bulldog matilda you know i haven't been a dog owner for very long but dogs tend to around large crowds of people they tend to get uncomfortable or a little stressed out and as this dog is wheeled out in the middle of 90,000 screaming people I was just thinking like I wonder how freaked out this dog is but Matilda's a pro as soon as she jumps in the ring she attacks one of the opposing team which I'm sure was part of her shtick but I don't think she was phased in the least the British Bulldogs of course the title not on the line take a look at Matilda Matilda isn't, the Bulldog. Isn't great. she a beauty? Oh, she is. Danny Davis responsible for every one of them losing their title. And not by legitimate judgment, I understand. Absolutely not. Oh, look at Matilda going after the mouth to the south. He's down. Matilda chasing him right out of there. <laughs> Matilda literally clearing the ring here of everyone as Tito Santana goes to work on the anvil. 
Yeah, that was terrific. Mary Hart loves her. Everybody loved Matilda. I loved her as a kid. I love the idea of pets for the wrestlers. Like, I understand, you know, some organizations might be like, oh, well, are those pets okay? That snake's in the bags. That snake all right and everything. But I'm pretty sure, like, everything is above code here. I mean, that dog is extremely well trained to perform to attack Jimmy Hart on command immediately like he's part of the show uh, he's a real show dog and everything so just really great same with Coco Beware's bird Frankie the bird like I couldn't believe that bird was <laughs> so calm and just like kind of chilling like it's amazing and that's classic like just I love looking back and seeing Matilda go after Jimmy Hart or Matilda go after Bobby Heenan Dan, how are you feeling about this match? Do you like the pre-Bell brawl that's going on here? Yeah, this match was a lot of fun. I, I, I remember British Bulldog from his WCW time and the Hearts, obviously, uh, Jim Neidhart. So, like, I was kind of watching it from through that lens. At this time, I, I didn't know about the whole Heart Foundation versus British Bulldogs kind of the history. So for me, it was really just watching a bunch of guys that I knew and liked. I didn't know anything about um, Danny Davis. Like he, I didn't know who he was. He did seem out of place, but uh, you know, I don't have years of hate built up for him either. I mean, I thought this was a, a solid tag match Danny Davis aside. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I feel like Bret Hart eventually kind of goes on to be a very outspoken vocal sort of side of wrestling because i mean there's a lot of tragedy and i feel in just in that family alone yes was it his brother during a live event like he actually i think i watched that that he ended up having an accident and then dying from and remember him becoming very outspoken about the dangers of wrestling later in his life yeah that was his brother owen but i mean who doesn't love bret hart bret hart's just he's one of the all-timers He even made a cameo on The Simpsons, which was, I get, I think it's an even funnier joke now that I read that he grew up in like this huge mansion that his dad ran like the wrestling school from because in The Simpsons, he's buying Mr. Burns's house. It's a giant mansion. So he's just, you know, like, of course he wants another, like he's going from one mansion to another or something. But Bret Hart was like growing up, like my champion. After Hulk, the guy they had, they decided to put it on more or less was Bret Hart, and it was kind of a down period in the business. But I'm a big Bret Hart guy, so just naturally, I love the Hart Foundation. So this, aside from Danny Davis, pretty good match. A lot of foul play, a lot of outside the ring action. At one hour and 28 minutes and 20 seconds, it is declared that pandemonium has broken loose once again. The anvil coming in once again, making the save, and Tito with a flying elbow. Here we go. There's just no control. The ref has just lost law and order, and everything is out of control for a while, which is which is great. Some of my favorite moments in wrestling is just when you lose control of the match. Eventually, very controversial pin because Danny Davis actually gets the pin after Jimmy Hart like crushes one of the British Bulldogs with like a megaphone, and I can't believe. Danny Davis pinned somebody in a WrestleMania. It made me so (laughs) angry. Even back then, I was pissed. That finish, I had to rewind that and and, and watch it two or three times because it was really unclear that Jimmy Hart interfered in that match. Did anybody else have trouble figuring that out? Oh, I agree. Yeah, definitely. 
there's no camera on. It's like kind of happening in the background while a bunch of dudes are in the front distracting even us, the audience members. It makes me think back to what Larson was saying just about how technical behind the scenes and crazy and well-coordinated this needed to be. And then also you throw in the amount of improv that they're going to need to do to stretch or shorten the matches and stuff. And then, you know, the camera people trying to find where their cues are. And it's amazing that we don't miss more of the show is what I guess I'm getting down to is like I couldn't believe that there's only two matches where I was sort of like what's happening now at this point in the action yeah I can imagine that's a tough camera setup in that big place considering it's never been done before yeah and there's just so many variables in the ring sometimes you're just not sure like who to cover exactly and and where your attention should be that's part of learning your trade as a wrestler believe it or not like one thing I, I listened to so much wrestlers say is like the best wrestlers know where the cameras are they know what move to do where especially like where the hard camera is like that's a big deal you have to know that when you're out there so i feel like maybe this match was put here in a lot of ways because we just had the amazing piper match and you know again like a lot of energy was spent and i feel like the audience was really into it you really this is kind of more of like a cool down match like it would it's cool to see the Hart foundation and the british bulldogs and you know, tino santana but it's like you know you can miss it you know no one really wants to see danny davis anyway so i'm sure a lot of dads were like i'm taking a leak now um, <laughs> a lot of kids wanted to go get a hot dog or something this to me sort of felt more like a cool down match like let the audience cool down let let everyone in back sort of cool down and like let's just you know kind of maybe like more of a placeholder which is a little unfortunate because if it was just the the Bulldogs versus the Hart Foundation doing some kind of classic rivalry kind of stuff like that would have been a lot better. I mean, to their credit, I don't think they they work the match as though it's a placeholder match. I mean, they're all in it. And really, the only thing that's kind of a bummer is is the finish. So no, I'm not trying to take anything away from like the performance or anything. I'm just trying to think, you know, on a scheduling level sometimes about like that was just why I'm, I'm just kind of wondering sometimes why certain matches are before and after other matches and if there was a, a logic to it per sure. se. And so in a match like this, where like Brian said, these guys have fought hundreds of times, you know, so it's like, oh, we've always seen these guys fight like sure they deserve a spot in a wrestlemania but like you know it's not going to be anything especially new before we've seen these guys do this a lot yeah i know that's why they did it i just don't agree with that take because i think so many new eyes tune into the wrestlemanias that if you have these guys who work awesome matches every other day of the year just run it again for you know the fairweather fans and you're gonna get more people to tune in so i I don't agree with the decision but i think that's what they were thinking and next up we have our first nighttime match the sun has gone down i don't know if you guys noticed this but it's really cool it starts to give a whole different vibe i think it actually starts to get a little more dim during the tag team match but by the time coco beware and his bird frankie take the stage <laughs> and they take on butch the natural reed accompanied by slick it is nighttime and I feel like the energy sort of shifted. Everything sort of shifted. I feel like the rest of the show is, uh, for the most part, like really good. We got my favorite match coming up soon, and then some really great stuff before the main event. So let's get into this Coco Beware match. I actually enjoyed this match quite a bit. I mean, it, I think, again, I was unfamiliar with these guys, but I think what I latched on to was Coco Beware's, like just the character of him. He reminds me of a guy that WWE currently have in NXT who goes by uh, No Way Jose in that he brings the party with him and in Coco Beware, you know, he's wearing these tropical pants. He's got a parrot. Like he's just 
love and life. So I kind of latched onto him. You know, I thought it was a pretty solid match overall. I mean, it, it didn't resonate with me ultimately. But in the moment, I thought it was a pretty fun match. But again, you know, I don't know who any of these guys are. I'm really just watching Coco Beware because he's kind of fun to look at. Uh, Larson, how did you feel about the persona of Coco Beware and, and his the whole idea because you know there's jake the snake with his snake we just saw the british bulldogs with matilda and now we have you know he's not called the Birdman, uh, although maybe he did go by Birdman coco beware at some point at some points yeah you know he's got a living prop like is this working for you i i recognize the name coco beware and he definitely you can tell he was one of the big stars i don't even who was he fighting i don't remember the name He's fighting Butch Reed, who went by the natural. Butch Reed, yeah. Who's that? I don't know. But Coco Beware, I knew, had the bird and all that. He was great. My biggest takeaway from this is this is where you hear Jesse Ventura saying some kind of un-PC stuff. He says that the the B in Coco Beware stands for buckwheat. Oof. Yeah. And later on, they show him in a Piper's Pit segment wearing a t-shirt that says Buckwheat on it. So maybe there was some kind of rivalry between him and Coco Beware? I don't know. No, not that I'm aware of. Or just he's racist. (laughs) I mean, yeah, if it's just not the real Jesse Ventura kind of coming through the cracks of his character or him really sort of turning it on for his character, I know... We all felt really uncomfortable with the with those moments. I mean, he says something to the effect about Slick that he would look right at home in downtown Detroit. Yeah. Now, now, why would he think that? Mm. Like, what? You know, Dan, I know you had some issue not just, you know, earlier in the show, but definitely with, you know, Jesse throughout and everything. I mean, this is sort of where it re- reaches its peak, right? Oh, for sure. I think, yeah, the, the Buckwheat comment stood out to me in a big way. And then Tito Santana comes out at the end of this match, Brian, and I know you had a real issue with the way he was referring to him. He talked about his uh, Latin temper getting the best of him. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, pretty bad. I wonder if they had to rein in Jesse after this event. There was a funny pop-up video in the corner during one of the matches where Vince McMahon comes on, and he's talking about Gorilla Monsoon, and he's like, you know, Gorilla was great. He would always be able to expand on what you couldn't see and elaborate on the moves, and he had a great knowledge of, of all the moves, and he knew all the names for everything, and he could be really great. And then he'd be like, Jesse, he's all right. <laughs> that was it. I was like, holy shit, that is totally... He just threw the ultimate shade well i'm pretty sure that jesse went his separate ways with with wrestling and it it didn't end on good terms right i mean he does seem like sort of persona non grata in the wrestling world he's certainly not even hulk hogan came back eventually i mean brian is jesse ventura in the hall of fame is he excommunicated from the wrestling community did he go a little too full tilt nut job after he was governor like did he burn that bridge I know him and Vince are not getting along. When he was running for governor and when he was governor, it was very popular to... They would bring him on sometimes and talk about him, but he was even an announcer for the XFL while he was governor, which is really ridiculous, for a couple games. Which is the wrestling of football, (laughs) some would say. And it's coming back. Yep. 
Finally. I know recently, I think they've definitely tried to distance themselves from him as well, and he hasn't taken kindly to it. I'm not sure the exact reason that they kind of cite, but I know that they're not on good terms currently. It's interesting, too, because he does play sort of a, a version of Jesse Ventura in The Running Man, you know, which is also heavily based on, like, wrestling and wrestlers having their own gimmicks and things, and him being sort of like a Mr. America kind of guy who has to get back in the ring and fight Arnold and stuff. But, I mean, I could understand, like, you just want people who are going to embrace it and not, even if you didn't have the greatest time, you don't want to remind everybody of the ill will. It's a publicly traded company. You don't want Jesse Ventura really being the spokesman for a public address. Yeah, that's all you got to (laughs) say. I think of the WWE these days sort of the same way I think of Howard Stern. They made their name being edgy, but somewhere along the line they were like, listen, a business succeeds by appealing to the biggest number of people possible, so we need to kind of clean things up a little bit. And they haven't lost their edge completely, but they've definitely changed their brand a lot. And part of that is distancing yourselves. You know, Howard Stern doesn't have Artie Lang or Gilbert Gottfried on anymore, but he talks to Paul McCartney. That's an interesting point. Like, Brian and uh, Dan, do wrestlers still sort of guzzle beer on stage and, like, you know, thrust their genitals like the X Factor used to and, like, do the swing stuff? It's like, is it still lewd and rude like that? Or are they, you know, because there was a time where it looked like it was basically trying to go as R-rated as possible. Right. You know, I mean, uh, there's really not much anything like that anymore. There, are, I mean, there are definitely moments where I think, oh, geez, I can't believe they made that decision. And there are definitely uh, some characters that I think just lean into stereotypes more than I would like. But in terms of like that, that hardcore attitude era vibe, like they've really cleaned all that up because now ultimately it's a show that they, they have to market to kids. So yeah, I can't think of any recent examples of anything that's been too over the top. Well, like you kind of mentioned about the guy who reminds you of Coco Beware, do you see them maybe reverting a little more back to this era? Not in, obviously, not in the un-PC ways or anything, but just in the in the color ways, like in just it's brighter, it's more colorful, like the storylines are a little more fantastic, like the people are a little more like superheroes as opposed to grounded Sure. I mean, there's definitely some of that. There's one guy who's really popular, who is who really channels like guys like Hogan and Randy Savage, and uh, his name's uh, Velveteen Dream. And and I love the Velveteen Dream. Yeah, he's incredible, and he really harkens back to this time of uh, of wrestling. But I would say for the most part, the company as a whole, they almost treat wrestling as legitimate competition. Like more than I've ever seen it. Whereas back in the eighties, it was sort of like a circusy kind of event. Whereas now they're almost, cause I mean, they signed Ronda Rousey. So they're really trying to present it as an athletic competition, even though, you know, we all know that it's predetermined. That is an interesting sort of way to rebrand it because it kind of makes it rely more on, oh, this is a technical thing you need to learn. They know what they're doing. Like there's a way to be the best at this kind of stuff. Like it's sport. Right. But it's also entertainment. However, you can sort of rate and gauge performance and ability and all that kind of thing. So it would make sense to be like, no, we're sort of taking another angle on it, a more sportsman angle or something like that. It could be considered more of a competition. I could could see that. Right. 
Well, also in the 80s and 90s, the WWF's biggest competition was like other wrestling shows. But nowadays, their biggest competition is MMA, actual mixed martial arts, where, you know, it is pretty real or at least a hell of a lot more real than wrestling. And so they needed to sort of try to get that sort of angle. Right. And I I can't remember the last time on air they referred to what was going on as wrestling. More often than not now, they're referring to it as sports entertainment. So they're really leaning into the sports angle as opposed to the, um, you know, the wrestling part of it. Yeah. Wrestling is a sport. Yeah. It's baseball. It's boxing. All these things, though, in entertainment, they ebb and flow. You're going to see an era with more characters, then you're going to go back to the more reality-based, then it's going to go back to the more characters. It just That's just how things go. Just like with the MMA thing, too, uh, it's funny because I feel like MMA now takes a lot of cues from pro wrestling. Yes. So they're kind of like the worlds are kind of merging because you're seeing more press conferences and promos like that, and the way they talk to each other is so much more WWE than it was like MMA 10, 15 years ago. Right. When I saw Conor McGregor at that press conference with Floyd Mayweather when they were preparing for that, I was like, he went off for like 10 minutes on a microphone just talking shit on Floyd Mayweather to his face. I was like, this is a wrestling promo. So yeah, I think real sports are definitely becoming more wrestling-esque in, in the way that they present their entertainment as well. So this match concludes, Butch Reed actually wins this match with the quick pin on Coco Beware. And I thought this was... this match ended abruptly. I thought it was a very good technical match. And then we get more post-bell action. You know I love my post-bell action. Slick slams Coco Beware with a cane, but then out of nowhere, Tito Santana comes around for some backup to sort of support Coco and help him out of the ring safe and sound and everything. So again, Brian, it's the same, you know, the the good guy lost, but ultimately like he comes out on top looking better. So guys, now on to match nine, the Intercontinental Championship match of the evening we have randy the macho man savage and the lovely miss elizabeth in his corner versus ricky the dragon steamboat with george the animal steel in his corner the match of the night if you ask me they fucking came in here and stole the show oh yeah macho man randy savage intercontinental heavyweight champion was in a state of shock when ricky the dragon steamboat came back yeah but this time in front of the largest audience in the world i will not only embarrass you not only pin you with the one two three count but i'm gonna put you out of wrestling for good oh yeah dragon i am the lord and master of the ring and you're gonna find that out one athlete to another right now you can't be with me no history beckons the macho man yeah it's funny that you say that because I, I was just talking to a friend about this match this week and he's more knowledgeable than I am. And, and he told me that in, in multiple interviews, Ricky Steamboat, when talking about this show, said that Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan sold this show. But that night he and Randy had decided they were going to steal it. And they do. It's incredible. And there's a package, a history package that they show with a bunch of clips and stuff leading up to it. And I mean, it doesn't, it's great, but I don't feel like it really does it justice because this went on for like a full year and, and everything is sort of called back in this one match. So over the course of, of this year, Macho Man and Steamboat faced off. Macho Man hit Ricky Steamboat with the Timekeeper's Bell. He will grab the Timekeeper's Bell later in this match. He chokes out Ricky Steamboat to the point where he has to be 
hauled off on a stretcher. Ricky Steamboat, early on in this match, will choke out Randy Savage, like lift him off his feet. George the Animal Steel came out at one point during their rivalry and stole Miss Elizabeth. So George Steele stealing somebody. In this match, George the Animal Steel will be ringside and there will be a moment where Randy Savage jumps out of the ring to protect Miss Elizabeth and take her further away from that. So like all these threads are being revisited. So not only is it one of the greatest technical matches I've ever seen, it is one of the tightest, smartest storylines that I think I've seen in a really long time or can remember because again I haven't really been watching wrestling for a really long time but guys I think you could tell how impressed I was with this match Dan let's start with you this is the match of the night this is a match that holds up today like you could watch this I I mean I watched this match a handful of times I I I said to my girlfriend she watches wrestling I was like you got to watch this Macho Man Ricky Steamboat match because it's incredible. And she really liked it, like way out of context. So much drama is packed into this match. It's, I think I said at the beginning of the show, it's the longest match of the night, uh, just over 14 minutes, which is crazy because it feels like it goes on for 20, 25 minutes in a good way. Like there's just so much going on. I mean, I'm a big Macho Man fan. I would say he ranks really high on my list. He was around during the NWO days, the WCW. So he was mostly a babyface wrestler at that time, from what I can remember. So I wasn't getting a whole lot of heel Randy Savage. And here we get like prime heel Randy Savage. Uh, When the crowd starts chanting for Ricky Steamboat, I, I, you know, I I couldn't believe that. That's crazy. So I think it's just a testament to to both these guys that like this, this match is, is, is one of the best of all time. What I didn't know real quick about Macho Man is that he's from the Poffo family of wrestling. Like, his brother is Leapin' Lenny, and his father is, like, a legendary wrestler. Yeah, his father ran a promotion, and it was considered an outlaw promotion because it wasn't affiliated with the other promotions. And so it was kind of, you know, they weren't on the up and up, if you will. Okay. It's sort of backyard wrestling of the time? Not not backyard, but in terms of like, you were supposed to get like a license to do this kind of stuff, and they kind of weren't approved by the NWA at the time. And Randy's his son, and you said Leaping Lanny Poffo is his other son. And Randy would just basically get him jobs, and he became the genius later, which is a great character. Randall Mario Poffo Sr. What a great name. And then it would be Randy Savage, which are sort of two, they both sort of describe like a overactive person. So like if you're Randy, it's sort of like a sexual euphemism. But if you're Savage, you're also sort of like out of control in like a more violent way. No, Savage is is great. He's the perfect marriage of, to me, like what makes a wrestler awesome in terms of he's technically incredible and he's also a larger than life character and it's just uh, i love watching randy savage matches but ricky steamboat too i mean ricky steamboat is the guy that a lot of people who have not seen like 80 80s early 90s wrestling and, and then watch today are like wow he's one of the first guys to add a realness to the character believe it or not i know it seems a little silly like that kung fu gimmick now but but it feels it feels real you know it feels like he can legitimately kick your ass Plus, I think it's interesting how he integrates moves like that into wrestling, whereas Rowdy Piper had a black belt in judo, but and he was a Golden Glove boxer, but like he didn't really use any of those moves. With Ricky the Dragon, you know, he's sort of a little Bruce Lee, a little not, but like he's definitely leaning into that persona in ways that are making him a more proficient athlete. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one thing I want to add before we like do our deep dive is that the Intercontinental Championship, I mean, still active today, is just it's considered like the Working Man's Championship, but especially at this time, like everyone in the business knew that like Heavyweight Championship was given to like the bigger guys 
is the more larger than, like the Hulk Hogan's great example, you know? The Intercontinental Championship was the championship really for the guys who knew how to wrestle and could work an amazing match. Like, that's the reputation it had, I should say. And this match is amazing and technical and no holds barred, and they pulled out all the stops. There's nearly 20 near pins in this match. Like, it's just so many pin attempts. It just gets so exciting. Larson, had you, had you heard of these guys before? I mean, clearly you knew Bonesaw from Spider-Man, at least. <laughs> Macho Man Randy Savage, it's funny because obviously I've been familiar with him selling selling Slim Jims. <laughs> you slapped into some Slim Jims, brother. I love his rap album. I called him out, but the punk was scared to go. It was a charity event, but the whole thing show. But it, it didn't strike me until I watched this that I'd never actually seen him wrestle. And he, you know, this this is sort of, we'll get to the, the Hulk Hogan Andre the Giant match, but that match is very slow because of just who they are. But that's a whole different style where like the dramatic angle and the, the really selling everything and overselling because... You know, like I said before, a lot of people are watching this from pretty far away, so there's a whole sort of pantomime aspect to it. There's a reason why they call it selling, because that's what they're doing. They're they're selling, their, and nobody is selling it like Macho Man. Like, Macho Man is out there. His reactions to everything, He's he was incredible to watch. And Ricky Steamboat as well. He was fantastic. There was a lot of cool stuff going on, and it was executed fantastically. So now I can add wrestling to the long list of things I've admired about Randy Savage. Yeah, like, he really kind of... St- apart for me when I was a kid too because I couldn't quite tell if he was a good guy or a bad guy you know like there are times where he seemed to have like virtue and honor and other times where he absolutely didn't especially in the way that he would treat Miss Elizabeth but like just style wise and fighting wise like he seemed to me like Brian when you say like intercontinental champions like the working man's wrestler championship like he seems like the working man's Hulk Hogan to me like he seems a lot like if he just had maybe started earlier had a break that Hogan had he would be that enormous and that's how he got to be so big in general he almost he almost rivaled Hulkster like he ends up doesn't he end up beating Hulk in like a year for the belt or something Wrestlemania 4 he'll win a tournament um to become the champion Hulk has to go away to shoot the film no holds barred then they'll tag team for a while and then they'll fight each other at Wrestlemania 5 all right so like I had always really been impressed with Randy Savage you know he would have those robes and the sunglasses and all that kind of thing but when he's in the ring he's just got the stars on and there's really not a lot of flair while he's wrestling he lets his moves speak for himself and everything well another thing we got to mention about this match is george the animal steel ringside another guy you know like you would say maybe not with the best body type that you would imagine for a wrestler but like he gets in there like i've seen him wrestle like he's just as good he can hold his own and there was a little pop-up video of him talking about this match 
he's from Detroit, but what struck me was it was almost as if that SNL skit where Chris Farley plays the Hulk at Superman's funeral, and he gets up there and he's like, Hulk not good with words, and then takes out a pair of glasses in a speech and sounds like, you know, the genius. Like, he's like, me and Superman go way back. We were great friends. Like, we once, you know, fought together at the Hall of Justice. So, like, hearing George the Animal Steel speak in real life is very much like that where he is just the most eloquent guy a normal dude because <laughs> as, as a kid like i didn't know any difference like i obviously didn't think he was an animal oh and then another ed wood reference he would go on to play tor johnson and ed wood <laughs> an actor in his own right but that's who he was he was just an actor and he got into wrestling and you know he learned the ropes and he really is just one of the weirder wrestlers out there from my youth how did that strike you, Larson, not being all that familiar with wrestling? Well, my first takeaway from him was his hairy back, of course, <laughs> but he reminded me very much of in Plan 9 from Outer Space. Ed Wood had this guy in his repertory company uh, who was this hulking bald guy. Uh, I think his name was Tor. Yeah, Tor Johnson, yeah. Tor Johnson, yes. And that's what George the Animal Steel reminded me of. He played him in the movie, Edward. Oh, holy shit. Well, that makes a lot of sense then. I thought it was a... And it was a really good gimmick for a character. You know, just like this animal of a man. You know, you've, you've even got the looming threat of him kidnapping Miss Elizabeth. So it's sort of like a King Kong thing. Now, looking at it, it might fall sort of more into the sideshow corner that is maybe not, you know, the best. But, you know, just because it's like, come see the incredible hairy beast man, right? As he, you know, ripped from the jungle, as he steals the woman <laughs> and, you know, fights for honor and all that kind of thing. But If you notice after Steamboat wins and they're going back on the wrestling cart and he's like hugging the animal, he will not touch his back. He is only touching his head. <laughs> Once again, I watched this match three times. I just, I couldn't get over it. My favorite moment is there's a moment where Macho Man throws Steamboat out of the ring over the top rope, but Steamboat holds on to the top rope, but he's like backwards, like facing the crowd. And then he like reverse flips himself back into the ring and fucking Savage immediately clotheslines him back over the top rope and he lands on his back on the floor. And I was just like, I can't believe the amount of stamina that these guys have and their just strength and ability and shit. Like, I'd be winded walking to the ring. So, so much credit to these dudes just for 20 minutes. I mean, I've heard stories about how Ric Flair would fight for an hour straight. Like, I can't even imagine that. But, like, just seeing this and keeping this up at WrestleMania, like, this is, I'm sorry, guys, but this to me was the main event. Yeah, but that's that's not really how the show works. Like, the main event, I know it should be the best match, but it's not really necessarily the best match. On every wrestling card, it's great when the best match is the last match, but there's always one, especially in WrestleManias, that's going to steal the show. And it rarely is the main event. Oh, yeah, because the people coming here, I'm sure they were not expecting this, you know? Like, this was a total treat, like a surprise, like an extra... This feels like they were going the extra mile. Brian's point is especially true today. I watch the WWE pay-per-views now, and the main event's always, you know, for Brock Lesnar versus whoever, and it's always going to be Brock Lesnar retaining the title. Like, it's, it's never fun. Last year, Brock Lesnar had a couple matches that ended pretty quickly. It was over and done like in a few minutes. So yeah, it's especially true today that the main event is is very rarely the best one of the night. 
I agree with that 100%. And I do think, like, the main event tonight is still, a, for all things considered, a great match. Like, it's just a very different match, you know? It's a very different angle on the idea of, like, creating tension and, you know, it's a whole different story, basically, you know? And so it has to be concluded and, and uh, acted out differently. And that's really you know i guess what it comes down to and it and it, it for me it's the same in a movie you know like a action sequence or a fight scene should be story development it shouldn't just be gratuitous just because we need to shoot a gun or or hit somebody at this point like these matches especially you know the the macho man steamboat match the hulk and andre match uh, the piper match like they're telling stories and uh it's through the speed the moves and all of that that gives it their different tone so i mean that is just a whole other level of appreciation that i've had for these guys along the way i mean that what is running through their mind and the things they need to keep straight at all times it's just incredible any final words about the uh, intercontinental match. I mean, Ricky Steamboat ends up winning in a in a terrific sort of reverse cradle move. Oh wait, let me just say. Okay, so there's a moment in this match where Macho Man has it won, but the referee's been knocked out. So oh, yeah. a little bit more of uh, a little bit of everything. We get the referee knocked out. We get a, a win, a false win, or a win that was stolen from Macho Man. Essentially, he stole from himself because he brought the bell in and knocked out the ref. But yeah, once the ref is revived. Macho Man does this little sort of like slam cradle pin and then Steamboat reverses it at the last second and it's just really tense and dramatic and and I just really like that ending and the title changes hands. Yeah, beautiful match, beautiful match. All right, three more to go. Next up, match 10, Jake the Snake Roberts with Alice Cooper in his corner versus the Honky Tonk Man with Mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart in his corner. It's the snake versus the guitar. So basically, (laughs) the storyline here is that Jake the Snake Roberts had his own little talk show called The Snake Pit, and Honky Tonk Man came on there and hit him over the head with a guitar. (laughs) And that's basically all the backstory I know of this. I love Jake the Snake Roberts as much as the next guy, but I always felt the Honky Tonk Man was a little over the top. It's just like wrestling Elvis. That's fair. But guys, how did you feel about this one? Oh, I'm a I'm a big Jake the Snake fan. I actually got to meet him last November, and he's he's like super nice. So if you get a chance to meet Jake Roberts, like do it. This see, okay, so this is a pretty decent match as far as entertainment value. I've seen better Jake Roberts matches. So in terms of just technical wrestling, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that it's terrific. But I think that the gimmicks there are really fun. Jake's always entertaining. The Honky Tonk Man, as over the top as he is, I think he's a really good worker. And the two are veterans at this point. You know, they know how to put together an entertaining match. Ultimately, it does feel like just an opportunity to get Damien into the hands of Alice Cooper. But I enjoy this one quite a bit, even if it's like, I don't think, again, I don't think it's one of the best technical matches, but it's got really fun characters. Jake's terrific. This ranks pretty high on my list uh, for the matches overall. Nice. Larson, had you heard of these guys before? I mean, you might have heard of Jake the Snake. Oh, yeah. He had a documentary out a few years ago. He went through a pretty rough rehab and uh, came out the other end. And if I'm not mistaken, like trained with DDP through his yoga exercises to like actually really help him get back on track which is awesome by the way i actually have done the ddp yoga and it's incredible obviously these were two of the biggest names at the time i mean you had 
Jake the Snake Roberts, he had his snake, and the Huggy Tuck Man was, as you called him, Wrestling Elvis. Like, two of the most recognizable guys, and two guys who were very solid wrestlers. Jake the Snake, again, someone I only knew through non-wrestling-related pop culture, just that he, there was this documentary about him, and the Mickey Rourke movie based on his story, and, you know, it, I'd never seen him wrestle, and it was nice to see him at the height of his skill and popularity because I just kind of knew him as a sad old drug addict. So this was, it, it was cool to see. It was a great match, and Alice Cooper, that was a, that was a very, he, he played his part well. I mean, I feel like when you're a rock star, especially a particularly theatrical one like Alice Cooper, you know, this kind of stuff is second nature, and he was doing, doing the manager stuff helping out around the ring interfering getting the snake at the end i thought it was very funny the way jesse ventura was making fun of alice cooper's physique he was like oh yeah this guy spends a lot of time in the gym working on his arms yeah and jimmy hart not a good night for him and animals first attacked by matilda and then the snake put on him at the end of this match so what i do like about this is like you do have these two guys who are really into their images and stuff like jake the snake right has the snake and honky tonk man doesn't even have a first name he just goes by honky or honky tonk you know like you can't even call him chris or anything yeah i like how they kept referring to him as honky throughout the the match i like the pre-bell action how jake the snake just doesn't you know he he doesn't give him time to he doesn't give honky tonk man time to get undressed he just starts ripping the clothes right off him he's just going at it he's not waiting for the bell or anything like he seems to me like he'd be a good intercontinental champion this guy seems like a real blue collar wrestler and yeah he's real proficient i'm actually quite surprised how evenly matched this this is because of how flamboyant the honky-tonk man is like he just seems to me and i know this isn't the case and this is part of the misdirection you know he seems like a kind of guy like a joke like he comes across a little bit as a joke you know and like not really the you know what are you you're just an elvis impersonator kind of thing but like the guy's got moves i give him a lot of credit and he looks a hell of a lot like elvis too so that helps a lot i mean like agree with all the sentiment i just always think back to um when i was a little kid i got like a wwf trading card set i mean like really young and the first time i ever knew who alice cooper was was getting an alice cooper wwf trading card of him holding the snake from this match wow that's amazing that's awesome (laughs) i feel like we talk about alice cooper a lot mike oh well he came up because he did the title to class of 1984 he did the song to that when will the dream become a nightmare yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah he pops up i like him here he's from detroit i think he makes a good manager like image wise you know like i could totally see like someone having a manager that looked like like you know alice cooper i didn't realize he's like uh you know he's like an art student he's an art guy he's you know he's not necessarily punk or metal like he's more of like a uh it's all for show kind of thing so like he latched on to that persona like he developed that whole goth look and everything and i give him a shitload of credit for banking on it cashing in on him being like an early sort of adopter of all that kind of thing so i mean the guy is just like them you know he's a showman he's just taking his persona and it fits perfectly within the same world you know and uh, it's kind of funny how he is the successful musician and jimmy hart's the one-hit wonder with his song keep on dancing (laughs) and they're facing off like i thought they were gonna maybe 
go a little more at it towards the end, but it was funny when Alice Cooper's in the ring with Jimmy Hart and he's got fear in his eye. <laughs> I always love that post-bell action, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else you want to mention about this match, about maybe how Jake the Snake goes for the DDT at the end, but never actually gets to execute it because Jimmy Hart grabs his leg so Honky Tonk Man could actually steal the win? That, oh man, I got so mad about that. <laughs> <laughs> it played me so well. I, I think you said it before, Dan, but like when Jake Roberts would hit a DDT, at that time, no one kicked out of it. Right. So if he hits one, he's winning. It was Goodnight Irene. Yes, Goodnight Irene, a line that we heard several times throughout the course of the uh, show. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, it was cool to get Damien out of the bag. I remember as a little kid always being excited to see Damien the Python. I was kind of worried for the snake because, like, I feel like it would be very easy to roll over one of these snakes. I don't know if Damien was the same snake for his whole career, but, like, seems like a dangerous place for a snake. A dog can run out of the way, but a snake, you know, especially one of that size. A bird can fly away. The snake is just going to get lost in the crowd somewhere, like under the ring, maybe. Yeah, there's a lot of ways that could go wrong. I would be surprised if Jake the Snake didn't go through multiple snakes throughout his career. But maybe he didn't. Well, yeah, he had multiple snakes, but I think Damien was always Damien. Oh, so he had to, he would never call another snake by Damien's name. Right. As far as I know, that's the truth. I think Damien was always Damien, and then earlier in his career, before Damien, I think he even had a cobra. Oh, Jesus. At one point, he has a cobra. Later, when he comes back, he has like a, a boa that's like albino. Right. I think that name was Revelations. Um, he had various snakes. And I, I know they used to make him take the snake on the road. Like, the snake was his responsibility. And he, he did not like snakes at the beginning. So that probably was interesting. He tells a story. Apparently, he's told it multiple places. But when I saw him, he was on the road with, I believe, Jim Duggan. They were at a motel, and Jim left the motel door open. And the snake got outside and froze to death. Oh, and he had to use that snake in the show. So he had to like move it around himself as though it was still alive and get through the show. Oh no, that is terrible. Yeah. It is awful. Yeah, yeah it's it's really terrible. If he had just put his two by four in front of the door instead of left it. Right. Open. And and I think I wanna say that Damien didn't end too well either. I mean that was around when, when he was really going downhill with drug addiction. Unfortunately, like the wrestlers themselves, some of their animal companions have had less than, you know, have had some tragic ends to him. I know Coco Beware's bird died in a fire when he was out of town. Oh. Hopefully Matilda lived to a ripe old age. One can only hope. All right, guys. So coming up next, match 11. We, oh boy, we, you know, we just got to make sure we get some red, white, and blue blood before the end of the night here tonight. So we are going to have a tag team match. We're going to trot out the Killer Bees, who are no slouches. You got B, Brian Blair, and Jumping Jim Bronzel, who at the time were kind of the closest I had come to seeing luchadors, you know, because they were real sort of rope jumpers, I would call them. Like, they like to used to flip off the ropes a lot. And so they got the whole Killer Bee vibe thing going. And they're going up against none other than, I mean, I would say two of the most hated if not feared wrestlers of their time, the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov. I don't think they've ever been referred to as the Kami Connection, but <laughs> it's never too late. Well, yeah, I mean, if 
Aretha Franklin singing uh, America set to a montage of scenes from the heartland wasn't enough to bring up that morning in America 80s patriotism. This certainly is. I mean, nothing brought America together quite like a distrust of both the Russians and Arabs and I knew of Nikolai Volkov and the Iron Sheik, but the two of them together at the biggest wrestling event, it was crazy. They come out and they're like, Iran number one, Russia number one. And and Nikolai Volkov s- starts to sing the Russian national anthem, which apparently was his shtick, I think. And then perfectly, Hacksaw Jim Duggan comes out and won't let him sing the Russian national anthem. The doctor of style at the request of Mr. Volkov asks all of you to please rise and respect Nikolai Volkov's singing of the Soviet national anthem. I was afraid of this. got a little American flag on the tip of his two-by-four. It's everything I imagined it would have been. (laughs) (laughs) This was, oh man, I mean, Larson, you were there with me. I mean, this was everywhere in the 80s. This is Rocky IV. This is the Cold War. Like, this is how wrestling personified it. This is how I, as a little six-year-old, understood politics. Is what it comes down to is when a Russian wrestler starts trying to sing his national anthem and an American lumberjack comes running into the ring <laughs> and starts chanting USA and takes the mic from him. Like, okay, I get it. I understand now because I'm six. So was America. We were a nation of six year olds. <laughs> oh man and this match is good because it, in terms of like it's keeping the audience's attention so that it could roll over into the to the main event you know didn't matter who won or lost it's just trying to keep the crowd hot yeah that's exactly right because like at the end of the day the stakes of this match mean pretty much nothing but you've got the most over-the-top bad guy wrestlers you've got the killer bees who are actually pretty impressive in the ring but at the end of the day, the outcome of this match does not mean a single thing. But it does it, it does its job. It was fun, and it did get me pumped for the main event. Yeah, I liked it. It's a pretty flamboyant match in the sense of, like, you know, you've got the Sheik and Volkov against this tag team of uh, guys in the B costumes and everything. Like, that's flashy. It's a story match more than anything. It's a great time to have a disqualification in, you know, like we're here toward the end. This time it was the good guy, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, couldn't help himself, so he slams Iron Sheik with a two by four to break up the pin and disqualifies everything and then just cleans house. The Sheik is actually 
in top form here tonight. Uh, he looks great. I'd never really seen him any better. But yeah, like you said too, Brian, just trying to keep the audience hot, keep their attention, making sure they're in their seats for a few more minutes because they're going to roll right into the final event. Yeah, I mean, as far as the structure of the show, putting this right before the main event is is a really good idea because, you know, for better or worse, these two have got the crowd really worked up, you know, and, and to build on that energy going into the main event is, is a very smart move. It's been a really intense sort of last few matches here. Like ever since the Macho Man Steamboat match and then the Jake the Snake Honky Tonk match with all like the theatric Alice Cooper stuff and then this tag team match that we just had, you know, with the whole this like great Cold War stuff. It's really great end of the card leading into the championship match, which is match 12, the WWF World Heavyweight Championship match of the evening. Hulk Hogan first one-time friend and ally Andre the Giant with Bobby Heenan in his corner. There's a lot of stuff leading into this like I remember before I, I think right before the tag team match they like go to Hogan and they're like Hogan in an hour from now you'll be in the main event and I was like wait how many more matches are left? But after the tag team match they go pretty thoroughly into the backstory between Andre and Hogan. Boy, what a story leading up to this one. Here's two guys just who are almost brothers, you might say. And this is going to turn out to be literally a brother against brother inside. Let's take a look at some of the things leading up to this title match. It's everybody out there. Oh, 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 Andre the Giant congratulating the new heavyweight champion of the world. That's nice of you. I'm really proud of you. And you are a good wrestler and Three years to be a champion. It's a long time. Andre the Giant is number one. I'd like to thank you for recognizing in my book the real champion of superstars all over the world. That's Andre. Look at me when I'm talking to you. I'm there for one reason to challenge you for a world championship match in the WrestleMania. Andre, please, no, it's not happening. We're friends. We're friends, Andre, please. You can't believe it? Maybe you'll believe this, Hogan. What are you doing, man? You can't leave like this, man. What are you doing, Andre? But first, they cut to the parking lot where they're asking people tailgating who they think is going to win. Oh, that's exclusive VHS footage, Larson. Please elaborate. Oh, is it? Well, this this was great. I wish there was more of this because I'm a huge fan of Heavy Metal Parking Lot. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it. It's about 20 minutes long, but it's it's very raw. It's just a guy with a camera and a microphone going around the parking lot of a Judas Priest concert in like 1985 and interviewing people. And it's incredible. It's available in its entirety on YouTube, I think. So if you're listening to this and you haven't seen it, and you've got 20 minutes to kill, it's phenomenal. I would have loved to see more interaction with the fans, just because it's such an interesting time capsule of the fashions of the time, especially. I noticed even when we get short glimpses of the crowd, like the front row, I was trying to see 
fashion and hairstyles and yeah. glasses and like you know people cheering and what they look sure. like and yeah 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 and they send this like cub reporter out i didn't get his name but i wondered if maybe years later he went on to do other things with the wwf but but yeah they they do this vhs exclusive apparently and then they show the clips that sort of define the moments in hogan and andre's friendship apparently hogan won a big match and andre the giant came backstage and like poured champagne over his head and um they became good friends hogan subsequently interfered in a match and saved andre the giant but then eventually through these appearances on piper's pit or the barbershop or whatever the hell it was was it heenan who was behind turning andre against hulk hogan well it um there was so there was like a ceremony to give them trophies on piper's pit first and because andre had not been defeated again according to the storyline which is not true but uh for like 16 years or something like that yeah so up until this point for all intent and purpose andre is undefeated in WWE. Yeah, and Hogan had been champion for three years, and I believe it's something silly like the trophy Hogan gets is much bigger than the trophy Andre gets. So you see Andre a little upset, and then behind the scenes, we're led to believe that Heenan took advantage of Andre's brief vulnerability to tell him that he should be champion. And then when he shows up with Heenan, like my uncle used to tell me about this and like watching it on TV and how just shocked they were to see Andre with Bobby Heenan. It was like devastating to him. Yeah, I remember they get into that in the Andre documentary a little toward the end is that he ended his wrestling career as a bad guy and he had always been so adored and loved and beloved and you see at the end of this match or even at the beginning as he's coming out like the crowd hates him and it's just so crazy how quick they were to turn and or I guess that's how good a job they did in uh, recreating Andre as a villain. I think a big part of it is also how beloved Hulk Hogan was at the time. I mean, and... If you were Hulk Hogan's enemy, you were the most hated enemy in the world. I mean, maybe not as bad as Nikolai Volkov and the Iron Sheik, but still. You know, there are these scenes that they show where Hogan is like, he can't believe that Andre the Giant has turned against him. And he's like, I don't know what happened, man. What what happened? We used to be so close and we were like brothers and now you've betrayed me. And where did it all go wrong? This is just some of the best acting on yeah. Third Time's a Charm ever, <laughs> like, that we've ever had. Like, I mean, because, like, yeah, it's over the top and it's big and loud, but I believe Hogan's hurting. Like, it, you know, like, I know it's fake, but he makes me believe he's trying so hard. Yeah. And, you know, you ripped my chain, brother. Like, yeah, yeah. My shirt. Not just like, a chain, his crucifix. Yeah. <laughs> My crucifix, man. Come on, brother. Like, we used to be bros. And sort of the, the cold reception that he gets from, from Andre. Of course, you know, Andre's limited communication skills going to make him come across as sort of cold and robotic, but that definitely, you know, he's just completely unemotional about the whole thing. One of the extras on the DVD is the actual contract signing for WrestleMania 3, and it's Andre sitting across the table from Hulkster, and all the officials are there, and Mean Gene's there, and everybody's there. And at one point, Andre like starts speaking French to Hulk, 
And Hulkster's like, talk English to me, brother. I can't understand what you're saying. <laughs> He's like, you have the nerve to talk English to me. <laughs> yeah, there, there is a, I, I thought it was a press conference. It might be the same thing you're talking about, but it's a, you know, they have Bobby Heenan and they have Andre the Giant. Hulk Hogan shows up, but Bobby Heenan and Mean Gene Okerlund have sort of a back and forth at the podium. You know, mostly improvised, uh, I'm sure, but it just shows how well both of those guys could think on their feet it was it was like watching a vaudevillian comedy team work together yeah we have not said enough about how great mean gene okerlin was who just recently passed away the, the year of this recording but that guy is one of the sharpest tools in the box you know like he is always on always on point like super aware like you almost feel like he's helping a lot of the time the wrestlers sort of like regain their train of thought or something like they'd be like well focus on this or, or like talk to me more about this or, but yeah just a great like indispensable part of this whole operation perfect yeah he's wonderful and andre the giant just moments away from your stepping through the ropes and into the ring to meet hulk hogan in the biggest title match of all time i want to get your thoughts gene you'll see me now and i'm going to the ring and believe me it's not going to take me too long to come back right in the front of the camera with the world championship belt around my waist. Bobby. Oh, I can feel it. Oh, the adrenaline's going. This man right here is going to make me famous. He's going to become the heavyweight champion of the world, and I'm going to go down the history books as the manager of the world's heavyweight champion. I'm ready. Hogan, you better be ready. Yeah, how he managed to keep a straight face through all those interviews, I have no idea. He's the ultimate professional. <laughs> <laughs> like macho man randy savage is what walks in front of the camera and i can't not laugh you know <laughs> it's so yeah true. it's true oh i noticed yeah that a lot about the interviews too is a lot of times like their marks they're off their marks or people are standing in front of the person talking or the person talking is not facing the camera and <laughs> or anything and you're right every all along the way mean gene is just there stone face just straight as an arrow just totally keeping it together yeah he's he's playing it straighter than anybody else in the in the wwf and he's constantly surrounded by these bizarre characters and he's just treating it all like another day at the office <laughs> it's so true so there's a ton a ton of history behind this match and you know also andre he was hurting pretty bad you know bobby heenan comes on the dvd at one point and talks about you know how he's saying he's like uh you know andre you okay you okay and like you could see it in the match andre like nodding his head like i'm fine boss like all this stuff and like that that was for real like he said they would they wanted to carry andre out of the arena that night but they you know he would just never complain about the pain or any of that but this was sort of like in a way andre saying goodbye passing the torch i mean they wouldn't know i mean you know they wouldn't know piper would be back sooner than later <laughs> they didn't know that andre would actually be back in the ring again at some point or anything but i feel like they really tried to treat this with some kind of strange dignity you know as it were in a way of saying like this is okay like this is the time has come for andre to bow out and for hulkster to completely take the spotlight at this point and i think they did a pretty good job with this match like let's get into the actual match now it, it's a lot slower than more again because of andre's condition but i feel like the grappling and all of that it's it's it makes it much more tense for me i felt uh, a lot of tension uh in this match but uh, what, what are you guys feeling like i was saying before the style 
the style of these two is a slower kind of style. Like, I remember Hulk Hogan, his one of his big moves was the boot, or like the big boot. Dropping the big boot, yeah. Leg drop, yeah. Yeah, and that's just, like, come on. Even even for back then, that's that's not very impressive. But where someone like him really shines is with these dramatic moments in between the wrestling, you know? Like, when he's down on the ground and when he gets up and, you know, these dramatic holds... He's he's a very good facial actor. <laughs> oh, the bear hug is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> bear hugs, yeah. It's like you said before, Larson, like he has to pantomime and the Hulkster is one of the greatest, you yeah. know, with the head shake and the way his eyes can bulge out and yeah. he shakes it and convulses himself and everything. And then especially how st- compared to how stoic the giant is. Sure. It reads so well. Yeah, and these guys have history. They I mean, they actually fought many, many times before this but it was before the wrestlemania era and before like kind of that national era so it's funny because they pretend this entire time that they never fought each other which is better for the story and i'm all for that which which is cool you see hogan working with andre and working with his limitations and anyone who really like shits on hogan which i get it like you guys say he's not a good technical wrestler but he's definitely definitely knows the psychology in the ring and the psychology of this match is what makes it a match because if this was just two random people fighting and they're not like in those bodies just like you know pick any two other people this is a really boring match you know but it's I, w- I was, like, getting chills on the edge of my seat. So many iconic moments, so many iconic lines. It's, I mean, it's the iconic match of that era and up there for all-time ones in terms of memorability. Yeah, it's like I was saying earlier about how I'll take a guy who's a great character and you know, cuts a good promo and is, like, fun to look at over a technically proficient wrestler most times. And this this match, not to say that, you know, it's not a great wrestling match, but, I mean, this is mostly two great characters on display more than anything else and that's what makes it such a fun match to watch because you're right if it was if it was wasn't hulk hogan and it wasn't andre the giant and we got this same match two guys that never known you're right it would be horribly boring but these are some of the best characters the wwf ever produced this to me is like one of those wrestling sort of thesis fights where it kind of goes to show it is about the story it's not about like the the wrestling so much like this this whole match like we're talking about you know like it's a it's a bear hug it's a it's a couple leg trips it's you know a few headbutts it's some punching you know the Hulkster tries to do a very ill-advised pile driver on the outside of the ring I think he's just two days to know what what he's doing at that point but but like it very much relies on reputation storyline persona and all that kind of stuff and like you said Dan like I, I I'm agreeing with you too like I will take the act over the match you know like i will i will buy that like that's what it's all about to me and like this match is sort of the proof that like wrestling works to me you know like you know if you could just if you could get as tense and excited as we are about how slow and sort of like untechnical this appears even though it's extremely well plotted and you know they're doing their thing um but just in relation to say what we've seen earlier in the night this to me just like you know proves it all like i'm just blown away by the end of wrestlemania 3 like how moved i am by all this and like how involved and invested and how much i actually like cared about certain characters i was like wow i really felt like uh like I watched like a bunch of TV shows or like a bunch of different stories or, or like a big movie or something. The effect was there. 
what makes this match so memorable is not the wrestling it's the moments it's the big iconic moments like when they first meet each other in the ring Hogan like gets up real close to his face and he's telling him something but there's no mic so you can't hear what he's telling him and that's a great sort of thing like because everyone's left to wonder you know even Jesse's like I wonder wonder what he's saying right now and you and you can kind of imagine him being like we don't have to do this man like let's let's forget this ever happened I don't want to do this to you it's a lot more than I expected from 80s wrestling, that's for sure. And yeah, just the drama behind it is fantastic. And and in the end, when Andre is left defeated and he's being taken out of the arena in one of those little wrestling carts, Bobby Heenan is hunched over and he looks just like absolutely defeated and people are throwing garbage at them. I was like, holy, this is wow. Yeah, and Hulk is left and allowed to pose in the ring for the entire run and a half of his theme song. <laughs> he really gets that moment to grandstand. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that you know, that's kind of what Hulk Hogan was about, doing his poses and, and hamming it up to the crowd. And he stays in the ring for so long after he wins that I, I could only imagine that like Vince McMahon is backstage and he's like, all right, man, wrap it up. Come on. This is a little much even for you. I mean, they mention it on the broadcast, but you even see, like, he's posing and most of the crowd is still there. They're not, like, heading for the exits. They're just we're watching him pose for a long amount of time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what better climax of the biggest wrestling event in history in 1987 than having Hulk Hogan victorious and just completely chewing the scenery out there so what's especially legendary about this win is that he slams andre and it's like a great body slam too like when i was a kid i don't remember it being that clean but i was shocked how much he got andre up and it's kind of funny you could see andre put his hand on hogan's leg to sort of push himself up a little bit but it was really cool i was shocked about how hard andre went down and uh i don't think he's selling it i think that pain is real and i just give that guy all the credit in the world to just you know thank him for for his years of entertainment service but like wow that was just insane like even now i felt the impact of his of him getting body slammed being like that is just that propelled holgan up to mythic levels like he's the real hercules you know, like, he just slammed a fucking giant. Crazy. Yeah, what an image. Like, if there was, you know, there's, like, the Jordan jump man on, like, the shoes and stuff. If there was some kind of wrestling image, it would probably be that. Yeah, I mean, WrestleMania three gave me two iconic wrestling images that even someone like me with very limited background picked up on immediately. You know, one was Hulk Hogan slamming Andre the Giant like that. That's something historic but also the the image of randy savage flying off the ropes like that was something i looked at and i was like yeah this is this is iconic this is something i've seen this is something like even if i'd never seen wrestling before in my life i would have seen it in a dream you guys pretty much said it all it's it's hands down one of the most iconic matches a great way to end the show yeah you guys pretty much said it all this is the pinnacle of the era this is the pinnacle of just what they were doing still when people think of wrestling today they think even if they don't know that they're thinking of wrestlemania 3 they're likely thinking of wrestlemania 3 
This is the vivid memory I had as a kid about WrestleMania. It was definitely seeing the Silver Dome pact, have it going from day to night, the the Hulkster match against the Giant, like anticipating that, just being an excited six-year-old watching it on pay-per-view. And, you know, I have very sort of spotty memories of childhood before then, but the wrestling ones are are uh, pretty solid. Like, I just remember it always being on and always being interested by it and trying to sort of maybe connect with my brother through it to a degree. Yeah, it is in a way like live-action comic books, you know, and soap operas, like you said, and I think I'm very interested in comic books and superheroes, and so I think a lot of that has to do with, my appe- with the appeal for me in general, is just seeing them duke it out a lot. But yeah, I was just really overwhelmed to be quite honest by wrestlemania 3 this time not just the nostalgia but just how much as an adult i actually genuinely enjoyed watching this and what was going on even to to the degree that you know maybe i'll do like um like a part-time package like i'll do a month or something if they have a free month of the wrestling network like just to watch some of those old matches because it was just a lot of fun and uh I don't know if we're ever going to get back here on Third Time's a Charm with like a with another event, but I would love to. We could always do WrestleMania 33. <laughs> 33rd time's the charm. Or we could just do every third WrestleMania. Ooh, yeah. I like that idea. <laughs> yeah, I I have to say like having a good excuse to sit down and watch this. You know, it's been sitting on my VHS shelf for for quite some time, and I'm glad I had a reason to watch it because, like I said, growing up as a little kid in the 80s, the WWF was everywhere. Saturday morning cartoons and uh, guest starring on sitcoms and music videos and commercials, they were everywhere, but I never watched the wrestling. So it it was very interesting for me to sort of look at where it all came from and now that i've seen what is arguably the highlight of early wwf wrestling i have a lot of respect for it and i can definitely see how it captured the imagination of the world in the 80s and beyond you know it's it's always evolving um but at the time it was it knew exactly how to get people to love it and Vince McMahon's a goddamn genius. Dan, final thoughts about WrestleMania 3. I mean, overall, I think that it's a a pretty solid show. I mean, I know I voiced my uh, displeasure at some of the moments at the beginning in the first half of that show, but uh, I think it it finishes on a pretty strong note. The last six matches of that show are are pretty consistent, and they're a lot of fun to watch. So, yeah, I mean, this is one I would definitely put on again, for sure. Uh, I love watching these old shows. Actually, one uh, one of the traditions I have in my house is when there's a a pay-per-view on i'll look back like that day i'll watch an old pay-per-view that same pay-per-view but you know i'll go further back and watch an old one so like when the royal rumble aired earlier that day we watched an old royal rumble you know so just so i can appreciate what's like the evolution of the company and see where it was and then then that night i get to see where it's going I think WrestleMania 3 is is an overall pretty great show. Yeah, definitely be watching this one again. All right. Well, I cannot begin to thank you all enough for joining me today to talk about WrestleMania 3. I mean, this was sort of an experiment for the show. I know mean, this is not a movie. This is 
just the third installment in a franchise in general. So I think it was very successful. I had a ton of fun. I can't wait to have you all back again. And thank you very much. If there's anything else you'd like to say, say it now or forever hold your peace. Yeah, I I was thinking about this in terms of being the third thing in a series, you know, because normally when you do these episodes, you like to look at it as where does this fit in? And how does this represent the evolution of something? And being the, like they said at the beginning, the first WrestleMania was in MSG. Having something in MSG is a huge deal. The second WrestleMania was in, what was it, three different venues? It was like a simulcast between three different venues across the country. Brian, the consultant. An hour in Nassau Coliseum, an hour in Chicago, and an hour in Los Angeles. That was still in the closed circuit days, so they had the other venues watch the rest of the WrestleMania on the big TV. Yeah, and now the third one, they've figured out how to make it work. The stars have aligned, you know, the first two were just a test, and third time is the charm for this. I love it. They've learned, and the time is right in America. Everything just kind of came together in 1987 for the WWF and I think it represents the sort of evolution. The WWF as we know it, when did it start? Like 84 maybe? Like I mean I guess, you know, in that sense when like this Vince McMahon, Vincent K McMahon took over. Yeah, around that time, yeah, early 80s. Yeah. So this was this was when they were just they hit their stride. They knew what they were doing. They they learned all their lessons and they were applying everything. Yeah, this is the realization of his dream, right? Like, to take the regional promotion and make it a national thing that everyone's talking about, not just wrestling people are talking about. I love that. Well, you heard it, guys. Third time's a charm. Last show. Make this your last episode ever. (laughs) Yeah, and that's it. So, (laughs) good night. That's going to do it for the epic three-part episode of WrestleMania 3 here on Third Time's A Charm. This has been really, really, really fun to do. It was cool to get away from movies for a bit and check out other franchises that have a part three. I have some plans to step a little further away from movies by possibly doing some video game reviews on this program. I know I'd love to talk some Super Mario 3 at some point. Video games are a great medium with many, many, many part threes going on, so hopefully one day soon I crack open that Nintendo and make it happen. Once again, I gotta thank my three amazing friends for being on the show with me. This was a long recording session and they were all super professional, so thanks again to Brian, Dan, and Larson. I can't wait to talk more wrestling with all or some of you one day soon. For all things Third Time's a Charm, please go over to cageclub.me where you can find all the great back episodes of this show as well as 25 other original podcasts on the network. Check out Tom Tom Club, where the Cage Club founders Joey and myself look back on the career of both Tom Hanks and Tom Cruise, alternating every Friday. Fridays are for fun. That's Hanks for the Memories and Cruise Club. Make sure to check out the back episodes of the legendary Monkey Club hosted by Larson and Chris Podcasts, where you can hear me talk about my all-time favorite movie ever, the original Planet of the Apes. Join Brian Rodriguez over on his shows. First up is High School Slumber Party, where Brian and his guests take a look back at some of the most iconic 
iconic high school films. And then have a listen to the shows that Brian co-hosts with Kyle. P.S. I Love Hoffman and P.S. I Still Love Hoffman. All about the films of Philip Seymour Hoffman. Catch Dan again soon, right here as my official horror consultant. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are found online. Write to me at T-H-R-E-E at cageclub.me. That's three at cageclub.me. Check out our Patreon, where you can control what we watch or toss us a buck or two. And then go over to our Threadless and wear a part of the show. Third Time's a Charm content coming soon. Once again, cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. I'm the magnificent Mike, the main event Manzi, and we'll see you next time on Third Time's a Charm. Three, that's a magic number. Three. It is, it's the magic number. Three may stub me, and that's a magic number. What does it all mean? Jesse, of course, uh, Mary, uh, will be co-starring with Arnold Schwarzenegger in The Predator opening June 5th.